and 03, 8 through 13. Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Suk, Jazadak, uh, made a beginning, together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua with his sons and his brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Hanadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. Today is a very significant day for our church. For 14 months, with little notice, we were banished to cyberspace. We met uh, separated in body, but united in spirit, mostly over Zoom. And today we're taking a major step forward, but it's a step. It's a very significant step, a step we need to acknowledge, that we need to rejoice in, that we need to be glad for, but recognizing that it's one step on a path that we're mostly not in control of in terms of the laws and policies of, of uh, how many people are allowed in one space uh, and what our landlord will permit and what uh, the latest scientific findings advise is wise. Uh, so what's next and when will it happen? We don't know. We know where we're going, which is to have everyone who wants to be in this space able to be here, along with some continuing online options so we can continue that kind of engagement. Um, but we're stepping into this weird hybrid transition where we have begun to assemble, um, but we're not fully there yet. And so, so this is going to be a bit of a strange journey forward. Not that strange, but, um, but we're going to have to play it by year, week by week. And one of the things, though, for us to recognize is that for Christians, existing in this middle space uh, is actually the very nature of the Christian life. By middle space, I mean uh, the Christian life is often described as a journey, as a pilgrimage. We're going somewhere, and, and so we're not where we once were. We're not stuck, but we're not where we're going, and, and we live in this place that is filled with all of the things we see in the Bible, all of the goodness of God and his promises and, and specific installations of God's goodness. But we also struggle with our thoughts and our, the desires of our hearts. We struggle with the brokenness of this world. We struggle uh, with things just being hard. 
And theologians sometimes describe this tension as the already not yet. So that's actually not very sophisticated. I'm sure somebody somewhere has smashed together six German words to come up with a, a more sophisticated sounding way of saying already not yet, but it's actually a good theological principle in its simplicity, which is that in the arrival of Jesus, the promises of God and his purposes have already come. And so Jesus comes and he announces the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there are signs that had arrived with him. He, he started to push back the darkness. He started to speak the truth. He started to heal people's sickness and diseases. The restoration began. And even the hope that his people had that one day death would be conquered and there would be a resurrection. What they didn't expect is that it wouldn't happen all at once, but it would begin with his resurrection and his life-giving power until we await the not yet, the fullness. And so there's this overlap of the age that hope for Jesus to come or somebody that they didn't have a name for, but the, the scriptures made clear that God one day would, would send someone to, to fulfill all things and to bring his blessing. Uh, Jesus brings that. It's already here. The promise has begun its fulfillment. The spirit has begun to become embodied and work in this earth in a new way. And yet... We're not yet there. We still, ourselves, Christians, those of us who are Christians with the Spirit, struggle with sin. We still, all of us, struggle with injustice and suffering and disease. And so there's this overlap in our experience to say with the arrival of Jesus, by faith, we believe things are different. It's begun. And that gives us hope and that gives us joy and that gives us strength and it directs us in what to do. But we know by experience and by going through this world with our eyes open that there's so much that is not yet what it should be. And so we have to be used to that kind of experience. And so for us as a church to say, well, we're back. We're back in the chapel. We're here. Uh, but not all of us are here. We're still subject to the forces of technology. People at Zoom may be hearing a weird echo. Maybe you can't make out what I'm saying. Uh, we are not yet where we intend to go. So today, I wanted to step outside of the Joseph Sermon series to look at this passage from the book of Ezra, one of the later books of the Old Testament that records uh, the beginning of a return. God's exiled people who come back to Jerusalem after being scattered, and they start to rebuild. And so verse 10 gives us the thrust of what's happening in our particular passage when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. <laughs> That's what's happening here. Coming back, the temple had been destroyed, it had been scattered. They come back many years later, and they're beginning with the foundations to rebuild. So there's a lot about their experience that is very different from our experience. But there are some points of contact that allow us to begin to reflect on, on where have we been as a church, as individuals, where are we now and where are we going? We're in this weird hybrid transition. And so how do we begin to make sense of, of where we are? Well, this passage will give us those perspectives. And so I want to begin with a bit of a reflection on where we have been. So for us, we haven't been, I think exile may be too strong of a word, but we have been scattered to cyberspace. We did not come together as embodied human beings to interact. 
uh, our home groups did not meet in one home, but met in many homes at one time. Um, that's not the same as having been exiled. But the experience of God's people was such that despite the warnings of the prophets, you know, return to me, God would say. I'm with you when you worship my, I, I have blessed the temple and I will be faithful to the promises to David uh, to remain with the house that he had a vision to build so long as you come to me. But when you go to the nations and I warn you not to, eventually you will be handed over. You will go to the nations and you will find that they are not kind and slow to, pay, to anger and abounding in steadfast love as I am. And so uh, the unthinkable happened. Babylonians came and laid siege to Jerusalem. And so in a 70-year period between the Babylonians coming and this return, um, there was destruction and devastation. I think from a modern perspective, the way warfare happens is, uh, you know, what happened uh, between the Israelis and the Palestinians this week. You just send in a drone or launch a bomb and boom, the building's gone. Uh, the, The destruction of the temple and the exile of God's people happened over years as they would lay siege works as the people in Jerusalem would begin starving, as eventually they would break their way through and tear the temple down. So the passage we're coming to is roughly 50 years later. Babylonians are no longer in charge. It's now the Medes and the Persians have a a different political policy, allow a return, and so Ezra returns. And so um, we're reading about a beginning. Verse 8, now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem. In the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedek, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who come to Jerusalem from the captivity. So they're making a beginning. Now they've been there, this is the second year. What did they do when they got there? So what was not read, the first part of this chapter is that they constructed an altar to worship the Lord. So you worship in the temple. They did not wait to build the temple first. They began offering sacrifices. They've been doing this. That was their prior. So they're not beginning to worship God. They've already restored that. But now they're beginning that permanent structure that they thought would, would make the worship of God extra special, extra enduring. So it's a beginning um, but, but where did they come from? It says they made the beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. And it's that reality that we don't want to bypass too quickly. These are people who are coming in, having suffered for many years, and likely now, this younger generation, you know, 25, 30-year-olds, who come, who came always hearing, perhaps, the stories of the older generation talking about the place that God had given them and the glory of this temple uh, and the community that they had and, and, and the goodness of what it meant to live as our own people. The group that would have been growing up and hearing that story shows up to the rubble and, and the brokenness of Jerusalem, but they come with an imagination of of hearing about the power of God and his provision. And they come with great joy and excitement. And we'll get to that. Um, But they come as a people who have suffered. And so you wonder what kinds of questions 
would they have been bringing with them from their people who spent these years, this token of this big 70-year block, whoever, whenever it begins and ends, would have spent this time in reflection. What kinds of questions would they have? Why did this happen to us? Um, is there a way back? <laughs> is God still with us? What are we supposed to do? I imagine those would be the questions that they would ask, and, and those actually aren't that different from the questions we're to ask. Now, they have answers we don't have. So, so why did this happen? For us, why did COVID-19 happen? Well, for us as a church, this is about something global. It didn't just happen to us, it's happening all around the world. And so, so it's hard to tell what, what is God doing in the world, whereas the people of Israel had the prophets who wrote down what God had said. They had answers. Why did this happen? Because God was with us and God told us that he would bless us and he warned us if we were not faithful, what would happen? The people coming back, and if you read Ezra and Nehemiah, their understanding, they, they interpreted reality based on the scriptures. Their conclusion was this happened because God is just, because God is holy, because God is honorable, and because we are stubborn and stiff-necked. That's what they would have understood. Now, now, we can't draw that same conclusion. Did COVID happen because we in this room are sinful? Boy, that would be... Uh, quite a conclusion to make on something so global. Um, would we say it could have happened because people are sinful? Well, we know all people are sinful. God is just. But I don't know. What did we learn from this period? And we will always have opportunities to see our great need, opportunities to see the goodness and justice of God. But maybe we need to think more specifically. What have we learned? Well, I, I learned that I thought I was spiritual and thought I wasn't praying because I was busy, and now I was home for 14 months and not going anywhere, and my prayer life did not improve. So now I learned that I'm not as spiritual as I thought I was, and I learned that I depend on the community more than I thought I needed to. That could be the kind of lesson that you learn. Um, the better question, what are we to do? <laughs> so here the people in Ezra's day showed up, uh, and they said, what do we do? Well, let's Let's take all that we've heard and was written and let's begin doing it. So they offered sacrifices according to the law and they had the, the descendants of Levi and then they said, let's start to rebuild this temple. Now for us as a church, what do we, what do we um, you know, Emmanuel, we try, to, we try to do a little bit more than a church our size is meant to do, maybe to a fault, but we try to stay closest, close to the basics. We identify five basic practices that we say every church should be doing this. Fellowship, the word, prayer, sacraments, mission. If you're new to Emmanuel, go to our website, all that's there. We identify those because every specific thing we're doing in, in the grand ways and in the particular ways are meant to be expressions of that. And so what do we do? We may not know specifically uh, how to set up the sound system in this room or how many people to let in, but we know that we should gather for fellowship and we should read the word and we should pray. And so we're gonna do that. But as a church, we need to get more specific, but, but how do we do it? <laughs> so when we went to Zoom, how do we still do mission? It was a bit more complicated, it was harder. It didn't seem that it was as effective, but we didn't stop trying. What do we do? Let's still reach out, let's still care for the poor, let's still present the gospel to people. We still tried to do mission, even if it was harder, even if it was weirder. What do we do? <laughs> 
Um, I don't know that COVID-19 happened to teach us a lesson, but one of the questions we ask as people that always live in this already not yet is, Lord, what would you have us do and what could we learn? And so where were we? Uh, we have been in this surprising period that has been strange, limiting, challenging, um, and we need to recognize that we're coming out of that with questions and opportunities for questions that may help us answer what do we do now. So let me move to where we are now. This is the second. So, so we're looking at Ezra because it's an exciting beginning. Today is an exciting day. Uh, quite moving for me, actually, just you know, standing here, being in the chapel, physically here, hearing the voices. Um, boy, there, there's something to that. I'm so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful we have the technology so I can look on my screen and see Jay and Sujin and the Chows. Um, they're with us. We're, we're, we haven't left anybody out. This is a day to celebrate. And so the day of the laying of the foundation in verse 11, all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So it's a foundation. There's no building, there's just the, the demarcations, the beginnings. And so they're rejoicing at the beginnings. This is important for people that where they had been was, was years of suffering and misery and doubt and troubles. And now they've, begin, they've begun to be back. They're not all there. It is not wonderful. There are challenges ahead. There are challenges in the present, but they're rejoicing. Today is a day for rejoicing. Let's rejoice. Let's be glad for today. But let's also recognize you can't come out as a suffering people and have your joy be either a radical transition as though nothing just happened or a means of burying the experience of what just happened. And so I don't know what the younger generation who only knew exile felt and what they thought, but they praised the Lord that they were back. You know, uh, there is a sense that sometimes simplicity, there's something wonderful to beginnings. <laughs> so you have these, these 15 year olds and these 25 year olds who, who are having interpreted for them this return is God's provision. It's what Daniel told us what would happen. And we understand it to mean that the word is accepting us back. And, and this is a beginning with great excitement. And you see sometimes um, people that make, uh, that, that have the success that everyone dreams to, uh, dreams to achieve in whatever sphere, and then they realize once they're there, there's something wonderful about the simplicity of, of being at the beginning, of not yet being successful, of having dreams of success and wanting it, and maybe not wanting to give it up. But something about the days where all you had was passion and interest, and there was something genuine that gets lost, sort of my own upbringing in the rock and roll world, you hear this story of these arena bands that every, every band begins wanting to be in a crowd of 100,000 people and then they get there and they love the volume, they love the sound, but, but the experience is you go out and you have the loudest applause imaginable and then you, you get shuttled away by bodyguards, you get put in a bus and you go somewhere and there's this desire to, to go back and every now and then you'll have this enormous band that plays this show at a small club without telling anyone, anyone because they miss that reality. This is an unusual band to name on a first Sunday back, but just from, from my own upbringing, the band Metallica. 
uh, had a few albums out and things were going well and then there was tragedy. Uh, their tour bus turned over, their bass player gets killed. Um, and it sends them into this weird period where they get another bass player who's a great guy. But he says, oh, those first four to six months, the band kept making fun of me and ridiculing me. And I think as now older middle-aged people who have gone through a lot of therapy, they think, oh, the band was dealing with their grief and taking it out on him. And so they were having all these troubles about what's next, and they decided to record the next album. They weren't, they didn't have the dynamic, but they were coming up with all these wonderful songs. So they decided just to go to their garage and without a major production, record just a short album of songs that they didn't write. Garage Band Days Revisited. Um, and it has this raw sound that, the, that the, the fans that were tracking the first few albums and seeing how the sound was perf perfected and was evolving, loved that moment. And it was something that they needed. Uh, and there's something for us as a people wanting to come together. Let's be excited about what is beginning today. Part of the excitement is there's a new beginning. There's sort of a, a needing to make sure we stay close to fellowship and the word uh, and these other basic values, but there's a reinvention. What, what can we build anew? There's an excitement to it. And yet, for all of the rejoicing that should be part of today, for some, it will be hard to rejoice. And I expect for many, the rejoicing is mixed. Are the tears the gratitude for being back or the sense of loss of what these 14 months have done to us? So verses 12 to 13, many of the priests and the Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men, but seeing the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundations of the house laid, though many shouted aloud for joy. So that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. So these men and women in their 70s and 80s, some of them were weeping. Why were they weeping? I don't know. I can imagine a number of things. One is, if they were eight years old, they might have been 25, 30. In Jerusalem, seeing the temple destroyed. Just a memory of being back for people who grew up in New York, seeing the Twin Towers. You know, sometimes you go downtown, they're not there. Uh, it's hard to simply say, look at this one new glorious building without recognizing uh, the devastation of that one moment when the buildings came down. And so could the older generation see this foundation without having an immediate emotional return to that awful day? I don't know. Were they weeping because the first temple was built by Solomon, this wealthy, rich king, filled with resources. And here they are knowing that we will not have a king over our temple, but we're still going to be under this other king. And if we're to fund this ourselves from what we're coming out of Babylon with in our pockets and what we've carried, oh boy, the, the new temple will never, never have the glory of the old temple. And I don't know what Thoughts, and if you have, um, Emmanuel will not be the exact same church, but we might be a much 
bigger church or maybe a smaller but better church. We don't know. But there's something to be said coming out of this period. The present reality needs to be a time of excitement and rejoicing. But it has to be, given this last year, it has to be a time of surprising emotions that we ourselves don't yet know where they're coming from or, or why they're there. Uh, and sometimes you'll know, but sometimes you won't know. This year has been a really hard year. Uh, COVID is a terrible disease that caused suffering and death. We've had numerous people in our community suffer greatly, some for weeks. Nobody in our community died, but close family members, parents, siblings, close colleagues died. That's part of this year. And for family deaths that were not COVID related, there were still funerals with less than 10 people. Death has been part of the last year and a half. Let's come and rejoice that the Lord allows us to come together. But let's not pretend that this last year has not been terrible. Last year at this time, one of the questions many of us were grappling with, there were a number of graduating high school seniors. Could you imagine that they might not be able to graduate in person? They might have to have a Zoom graduation. I don't know that any of us were thinking they might have a Zoom freshman year of college. Look, for some people, that probably worked out fantastic. It's like Khan Academy, but for $50,000. <laughs> but for many, it's not, it's not the hopes of applying to a school and, and visiting a campus and then finding out that you're, you're just going to enter it on your computer. And so, so this is a year that did not go as we wanted it to go. This was a year that... The increase of violence, the anniversary of George Floyd, the intensification with Asian Americans, that's part of this last year. Asians in the United States who are concerned that if they go out, they'll be harmed. That's part of this year. So if we're coming in as a church grateful, the Lord is our protector, our provider. There are already evidences that, the, that God is good. But boy, there's a lot that is not yet what it should be. Um, work. We've had physicians at Emmanuel that had nothing to do for months at a time. And we've had physicians that had 10 years work to do in one month. You don't come out of that a year later, after a two week vacation, back to normal. And some of you, that's been your work story as well. Some of you have had so little to do that you feel like your identity, your meaning, your livelihood is gone. And some of you are so overwhelmed that you don't know how you'll make it to August. That's part of this year. And so today is a day to rejoice. Today is a day to remember that the Lord has been with us. and He's, he's restoring some of what has been lost. And as we enter into this year hopeful, Let's remember we're entering it as a weekend and a wounded people. And that's also exactly where Christians in the overlap of the ages live, as a hopeful people, strengthened by the Spirit to do what only God can do, but as a people weakened in our flesh to be unable to do what we think we should do, what once we're able to do. And so where are we now? 
we are people who exist in the already and the not yet. And this year we are going to feel some of the already. God's current provision and kindness. We will receive as much of it as we can by faith and grasp it greedily. But we're also going to grapple with the fact that we're not yet through this. And once we're through whatever the COVID crisis is, we're not yet through a world that won't send us another crisis. And so the question is, where are we going? That's the third question. What's next? Where are we headed? You know, what's interesting about time in the Bible, we exist in time, and therefore we think about the past and how that shapes the present, and we think about the future. Um, what's interesting when you read the Psalms, the Psalms that are filled with emotion, I'm not saying anything definitive here, I'm, I'm sharing this week's reflections. My own impression this week as I was thinking of the Psalms is often when there's lament, when there's weeping, when there's crying out, it's specific to present circumstances. It's, Lord, right now, I'm praying about my situation. But when there's rejoicing, it very often has to do with an eternal reality, something that's not tied to time. It's future, it was past, but there's this bringing to mind something bigger than the moment. And so, so wherever we've been, we've been in a tangible reality, wearing masks and getting vaccination, engaging the world through Zoom. But where are we going? Uh, what we're going is, is something before us, uh, so big, so great, that, that it's already worked into our present. And so in verses 10 and 11, we read, when the, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of the south, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. A concept of forever. We think of forever as the future because we live in time, but there's this eternal reality that God's goodness and steadfast love, it was always there. And it always will be. And so as we who live in time think about the future to say in the present reality, we already have his goodness. We already have a steadfast love, so where are we going? Somehow it needs to be going more towards that, taking hold of more of that. And so, so this, what he says here is they did everything according to the directions of David. Why did they remember the goodness and the steadfast love of, of the Lord? Well, that's throughout the scriptures. But I can only imagine they were singing the Psalms because you sing that in several of the Psalms. For he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. So here's this community hearing stories about David who lived many kings ago. Nobody in this community had met him. And David had a vision for a temple. But the Lord said, don't build a temple. Don't build a temple. But one of your sons will. And, and these people are saying, now we're the heirs, we're the descendants. We're going to build a temple and we're going to worship as David did with joy and with rejoicing and with sounds and trumpets, and we're going to remember what it was that caused David to rejoice. God is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And that's where they began, continuing the vision of David, where David was told, one of your sons will build, build the temple. And now they're remembering, but one of David's sons did, it was Solomon. And yet the temple he built for all of its glory was destroyed. 
And so what does it mean? Well, we're, we're the heirs, and let's do what seems faithful. Let's rebuild the temple. And, and the prophets affirm that, Haggai uh, and others who would come and say, yes, devote yourself to rebuilding the temple. But they did so already having begun worship. They didn't need the temple. They had sacrifices. They had the praise of God. They had the goodness and the steadfast love. But they just wanted greater glory. They wanted more permanence. And so they build a temple that is not built under their king, not a literal descendant of David. And by the time of Jesus, it was the temple that was largely made glorious by Herod, somebody who should not have been a ruler over these people. But they were still under the Roman emperor. And so in John's gospel, John talks about the word, the eternal reality that becomes flesh and makes his dwelling place among his people. Because that's what the temple is, the, the heavenly reality of a holy God that we can't draw near to. But sinful humanity who have been given a possibility that if we come humbly and with sacrifice, believing in the goodness and steadfast love of God, he will, he will welcome us by grace. John tells us that divine spirit that was present in a special way in that first temple and then in that second temple came in its fullness through Jesus. Jesus who then stands before the temple in John's gospel and says, destroy this temple and I will build it in three days. The religious leader said he's threatening to destroy the temple, but Jesus was saying is no. When the temple is destroyed, there will be a rebuilding and the same Romans who crucified Jesus are the same Romans who destroyed the temple. That temple would be destroyed, but in three days there would be a rebuilding, his resurrection. The true son of David would fulfill the promises. The, the dream that David had where God said, David, you will not build this, but one of your sons will build an enduring temple. So going through John's gospel further, Jesus meets with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who says, well, our ancestors worship on this mountain and yours on that mountain. And Jesus says, the true worshipers starting very soon are going to worship in spirit and truth. There's a different kind of temple being built. It's an enduring temple. It's a temple that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. And so what we have in the ministry of Jesus is one who first offers a sacrifice. He comes and he hands himself over and says, before a holy God could dwell with his people, a righteous person needs to go before God on behalf of the sinful people. And he begins by offering himself to fulfill the experience of Israel, the stubborn people who did not listen and were exiled and cast out. Jesus, as though he were one of that community, is exiled and sent out of Jerusalem, as though he were being banished from God. And yet in his crucifixion, we're told that, that the end of the old has come and the time of fulfillment has begun, that, that now the, the God who has the power to raise from the dead will not keep Jesus on earth, but keep going through John's gospel. And Jesus says, I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you. There's a, a greater reality that I'm bringing you into, but I will send the Spirit. I will be with you, but in this odd, already not yet place, you won't hear my tangible voice or see my physical body, but I will inhabit your hearts and minds and speak to you through your word and be present in your assemblies, assemblies. And so Christ is already fulfilling these things, but we are not yet in that heavenly realm. But by faith, we recognize that the promises have reached their fulfillment. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have a new identity. We have the renewal of the spirit. We already, by faith, have the beginnings, the first truths. And there will be ups and downs on this strange journey, but, but we are going somewhere. We are moving more closer daily to the goodness, to the steadfast love 
of God. And what we need then is the imagination. Uh, as the people in, in Ezra's day saw the foundation and imagined, this is the beginning of the rebuilding of the temple, as the church we need to say, okay, we still need to figure out how to make sure that the sound system works so that people at Zoom can hear with clarity. Um, this is just the beginning. But, but we can imagine that this having begun, who knows, the, the laws may change in two weeks, they may send us back to Zoom. But as far as we know, um, we're seeking greater fulfillment of, of who we're meant to be as a church, but in the meantime, we have the steadfast love of God. And with that imagination, you know, sometimes if you look at photos from New York in the 1920s through 60s, it was quite common before all of the development of the last 20 or 30 years, where, where between buildings there were empty lots. And a lot of those empty lots, now there are still, if you, certainly if you go to Harlem, there are empty lots, but they're community gardens where they're fenced in because some developers waiting to develop it. Uh, but for many years in New York, those empty spots, in some cases they were illegal garbage dumps, other things, but they were play places for kids. So there are photos of 10-year-olds, 15-year-olds, playing baseball in the 1940s in this rocky lot in between these buildings. Talk to people now in their 80s who grew up and they will say, what an awesome time we had when we were kids. We would go to a Yankees game or a Dodgers game. And we would be so excited about this organ that we heard and people selling popcorn and peanuts and the thunder of the crowd and these great players that we went back home. And we wanted to do that in our own home. And the memory is not that we sat around thinking, the states, why are we using a broom instead of a baseball bat? Why am I wearing an undershirt instead of a Dodgers shirt? Why is our base a hubcap? You know, by today's standards, with Little League, you look back and say, boy, this is unsafe. This is not, you know, we need to call child protective services. But the kids are going into this rocky area with, without uh, adults around, and, and nobody, there's nobody coaching them to work on their form. They're just showing up. And yet, get the memory. For the people that were there, they were like, we saw the professional game, and then when we went home, we didn't think, Boy, there's this grassy field that now we live in this terrible, rocky place. They went home, and having seen these people in their 20s and 30s with all of their skill, they went back and they imagined that they were part of that team. And yeah, it was not, there was nobody selling peanuts to watch them play, but they rejoiced that what they had seen could become part of their reality. The reason that the assembling for worship is always a starting point is because we're to live by faith and not by sight. If we see the greatest things that this world offers, we will be inspired to work hard to achieve, but we'll never be satisfied. But Jesus in his fulfillment opens up, he, he makes known something of this heavenly reality to say that there is more glory, uh, there is greater praise, there is more thorough goodness than we can imagine. And with our imaginations, when we enter the presence of God, and we have our, the eyes closed Christians who, who want that reality but, but remove themselves from the world. And then we have the eyes open Christians that say, that's spiritualistic, let's get to work and, and try to fix the world. Uh, what we need is, is the eyes open to the heavenly realities Christians who enter into the presence of God by faith, trusting that there is one lamb who is worthy to open in the scroll and that there are angelic voices and that there is a joy that's ours today. And to go back into the world with our open eyes and to say that this world does not yet reflect that. And so we're going to take the goodness of what we've seen 
and we're going to give ourselves to living that reality here on earth. The promises have begun. The kingdom has already begun to show its signs. Those of us who have entered into the kingdom by the invitation of Christ by faith say that this world is not yet what it should be. So we will look there for hope. But we will look to this world and say, world, what do we do? And we will do on earth as it is in heaven. And so let's have the imagination through this humble beginning. We're here. This is the first step back. This is a remarkable step forward on a journey that's going to have opposition and bumps and things going wrong. And we're going to get tired and it's going to be challenging, but the work is important. And so the high school track star in her 30s who says, I want to get back in shape, can't go back immediately to what she could do at 17 but knows what to do, and so needs to begin somewhere, slowly working themselves up. I hope there's an eagerness. I hope you're not so burnt out and exhausted that you're thinking, please don't call and ask me to set up chairs for the teach Sunday school. We're going to be very careful. But I hope there's an eagerness to get back involved. But know that we're all a bit out of shape, <laughs> that if we give ourselves fully get, getting back involved in two weeks, we're going to realize we've run out of steam, and then we're going to need to take another three months off. And so look, these are humble beginnings, but they're glorious beginnings. You need to start to get back into the routine. We, we, we need to get off the couch. We need to start um, engaging other people. We, we need to recognize there are new possibilities for fellowship, for the ministry of the word. So let's take them, but let's be patient. It's not going to go smoothly. It's not going to go easy. In another two or three months, you may find yourself saying, you know, I don't know, maybe Zoom was better. And we could say, in some ways it was. Thank you, Lord, that you gave us that experience. So let's continue to use Zoom. But the Lord has, if he's putting his spirit in you, by calling you to faith, you're all called. If he's opened your eyes to believe the gospel, he's also given you something to, to give to others. And so don't wait until we're 100% vaccinated before you start giving to others. What can you do today? I'm not talking, is, there's no guilt trip here. If you're tired, that's okay. You don't need to, to go to 100%. But this is a, a foundational moment. What are the next steps? Let's imagine as a community, gathering in the presence of God, that he might do something in these upcoming weeks and use us in ways we can't imagine. Let's assume it's not going to be easy. Let's assume we may be discouraged. But let's assume he has already told us that he is good and that his steadfast love endures forever. And he will be with us as he has been with us for the last 14 months. So let's go to him now in prayer. Our Father, we are thankful for this day. We did not know when it would come. We did not know how it would come or what it would look like. And here we are, gathered in some ways as we have for the last 20 years, in some ways as we have for the last 14 months in some ways, in a brand new way. And so, Lord, we thank you that over these months you've been with us, you've used us, you've blessed us, you've sustained us, even as we acknowledge this year has been hard. And so, Lord, today, may we all rejoice with, with Christians around the world who are, who are rejoicing, but let us also weep with those in our community who are still hurting, who are still singing, who are still tired and confused and discouraged. Lord, we are a not yet people. There's so much we want, so we, we continue in the spirit of prayer to plead with you for grace and mercy. 
But Lord, help us all to, to become more than already kind of people who see what you've already fulfilled and what you've already provided for us and to trust that you will already pave a way for us. And so, Lord, strengthen us by your spirit. May we rejoice today in our hearts and minds and strengthen us for the upcoming weeks and months. Bless us that this would be a time of healing, of growth, of satisfaction, of mission. Protect us and, Lord, um, sustain us. We pray that Jesus Christ would be glorified. In his name, amen.